speaks to you, his chosen ones. You have been raised up from brutality to kill the brutals who multiply and are legion. To this end, Zardoz, your god, gave you the gift of the god. The gun is good. The gun is good! The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and makes new life to poison the earth with a plague of men, as once it was. Where's my can? Ah, here it is. You like the juice? Well, you know I like this juice. I want to know what you think about this juice. You know them, uh... Skittles that are like uh, mystery colors. That's how I feel about this juice. I don't know what the fuck this is. Okay. But I put it in my mouth. We got to preface this a little bit. One, welcome to Saturday Night Drive. We talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies. And sometimes we watch fucking Zardoz. Um, This is my favorite movie. And it was a birthday pick. You said I could pick any movie I want. And we didn't do that for you. So I'm saying right now. This next week is going to be a belated birthday pick for you. You can pick any movie you want that isn't Zardoz. I don't know. I feel like I get uh, get picks plenty. Well, I don't know. What, I like, mean, what, I, like, I know you would never have said, let's watch Samuel L. Jackson host Saturday Night Live. Um, that was my pick. Well, I guess I should ask, like, what would this have been for you? Like, what is your favorite movie that you'd be like, oh, we should watch that on the podcast? Oh, well, I mean, my favorite movie is... Um, I mean, I always say some like it hot, uh, but like Cool Hand Luke, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, Con Air. So like like normal um, movies. But I don't that, know how many of, that people might yeah, want to watch. You know, like no, normal movies that people would pay to go see and not walk out of a theater and tell people not to go see them. <laughs> you know what happened when I saw Con Air? I remember I went to the theater. It was the first movie I ever saw by myself. Mom and dad were like, you can go see Con Air. We're going to go see some other movie. So I'm in the theater by myself. Bunch of people watching Con Air. After I left the theater, I'm like, that was the greatest fucking movie I've ever seen in my life. But apparently, after people left the theater after seeing Zardoz, (laughs) they were like, hey, stranger, what movie are you going to go see? Zardoz? Don't, don't fucking do it. Okay. So this is my favorite movie. <laughs> I've seen it probably a hundred times. And when I say that, I just want to also say, I mean that unironically. I don't love this movie because it's so bad it's good. I genuinely love this movie as a sci-fi masterpiece. I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't even getting so bad it's good vibes. I mean, at, at the beginning I was. I was like, oh, okay, this is like fucking Manos Hands of Faith level. Oh, you mean uh, you mean a, the floating head that introduces the film? Yeah. Okay. So we we introduced the podcast Saturday Night Chat. Uh, no Saturday Night Live cast members in Zardoz, but Sean Connery was uh, impersonated a lot on SNL. So that's my little connection. But anyway, and Charlotte Rampling was starts. also was on SNL all the time, wasn't she? Uh, she was a featured player in season seven. Yeah, uh, with Charlotte Rampling. <laughs> And the guy who played the horny old man in Zardoz. Oh, man. And the floating head. They were made. Zardoz got really popular with Dick Ebersol, so he threw them all in. So Zardoz, it starts with the floating head giving a monologue. I swear, 
I rewound this four times because each time the floating head was speaking, I was I got 30 seconds in and I'm like, wait, what is this floating head saying? I have to rewind again. I am Arthur Frayne and I am Zardoz. I have lived 300 years and I long to die, but death is no longer possible. I am immortal. I present now my story, full of mystery and intrigue, rich in irony and most satirical. It is set deep in a possible future, so none of these events have yet occurred, but they may. Be warned, lest you end as I. And I still don't know. And then I look up on the internets, the IMDb, first trivia thing says, oh, the floating head was put in there uh, at the studio's demand to help make this movie make sense. And I'm like, well, bad job. (laughs) Because now I'm more confused. Okay. (laughs) I I mean, the floating head thing, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I actually feel like this movie isn't as confusing as its reputation once you get to the end of it. It has a lot of weird shit in it that unravels as it goes, but I think once you get to the end, and again, maybe it's just me, you might be fucking completely, but I just, I don't know. I don't have a problem understanding the the premise of the, like the narrative of the movie. You could talk about like the larger themes or whatever, which is actually where I fall in love with the movie is, is what it's about on a larger sort of, you know, social commentary level. But I don't know. The plot makes sense. He's a guy, he's, he's uh, in a post-apocalyptic world with a, uh, this giant head comes down. It's like they worship as a god, but he suspects there's something up, so he crawls inside the head and follows it back to where it comes from. And he finds out that there's a weird secret society of psychic people that that have manipulated their lives for for forever. That, that that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, I'm watching it in the background now, and I feel like having seen the movie, and then I'm going to watch it on mute. I'm going to start to piece it together more. But as it's going on, no, I. I think you have to watch this movie a hundred times <laughs> to understand what the fuck the plot is. Well, and the, is. to be fair, this movie came out in, I think, 1974, which is pre-Star Wars. So, like, sci-fi now, post-Star Wars, like, put in the 80s and onward, was dumbed down as a result of Star Wars. It became shitty adventure movies. Like, prior to that, sci-fi was more heady. It was more, in, you know, introspective and weird and experimental. And that's the tradition that this movie comes out of. So it's, it's, it's impenetrable for a reason. It, that, like, that's sort of the point of it. It's, it's designed for, you know, f- you know, kind of a, I was gonna say an in-depth analysis. It's, it's designed to sort of be thought about and, 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 you know, run over. It's not like just, you know, laser beams and spaceships and shit. Yeah, now, well, and it, it kind of makes sense that nothing makes sense because nothing makes sense to Sean Connery. He's like a stranger in a strange land. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. No, but I, and I and I just I like that it's not like spoon fed to you or spelled out to you. It's like you get the sense of like there's different factions that have different. Like there's the one lady who wants to experiment on him because she wants to like procreate like she has a, her philosophy like she wants them to have babies which they've never had babies for generations the one lady wants to preserve the status quo she wants to kill him then you have arthur frayne the floating head guy who wants to end the civilization is sort of manipulating things to make him their sort of chosen one to kill you know to be able to kill them you know they, they all have different reactions to their situation as being these weird effet immortals you know, and and they all have different sort of agendas, and I and I like how that sort of it only kind of comes together at the end, like who's on whose side, who's working for what end. I I I think that's a great way to make a movie. 
Alright, well, okay, so Zardoz, we start off with this floating head spouting gibberish. And then, another fucking floating head. Why the decision for two floating heads? Well, remember, the original floating head was not intentional. I mean, that was the studio note. And and it's it's right. it's it's meant to be some So he's like So the studio's like, Hey Johnny, Johnny Borman, why don't you come into the office? This movie you made doesn't make a lick of fucking sense. It starts with a floating head and then Sean Connery's in a loincloth. We don't know what the hell's going on. You need to put something at the beginning to make it make sense. And John Borman's like, uh, how about another floating head? Okay. But you're you're missing the point. <laughs> In a very weird and specific way. And I feel like I'm going to be the, the downer on this podcast. I'm going to be the guy that dispels all the fun craziness because I'm like, here's where, where I think it actually makes sense. And I've put serious thought into it where you're like, what about two floating heads? That's the point. Because remember, Arthur Frayne is the, the guy inside Zardoz. He's the man behind the curtain. He is He's the floating head. head. So he presents himself here as a floating head because he is Zardoz. And also... Uh, you you find out later in the movie that that is how they are presented when you go into the tabernacle, which is the the computer that contains all of their minds in the sort of hive mind thing. When you call up an individual one, they look like a floating head, but well, they have hands too because they're like moving around and doing weird shit. But like that's that is how a person within a vortex appears in the tabernacle is as a weird you know on a you know in a black void. Okay. Well, I got questions right at the beginning, because after that prologue, there's another prologue, and then there's opening credits. Because I was like, oh, this prologue doesn't make any sense. And then uh, there's like another prologue with another floating head, and I'm like, well, this doesn't make any fucking sense either. So this floating head comes down, and, uh, you know, says, uh, the gun is mighty, the penis is weak, or whatever. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, the gun is good, the penis is evil. Yeah, and then it shoots out a bunch of guns. To Sean Connery and all these other guys in like loincloths. Now, are shot the loincloth guys? Are they? They're not the only people on. Is this Earth? It's it's post-apocalyptic Earth, and the, okay, but they're not the only people around, right? Well, no, because remember, there's all the people they're hunting and killing. The idea is like all the rich assholes became the Eternals. They they got immortality, but then they walled themselves off. And you see that scene where they, they're all banging on the walls. And it's like we they, they so they went. We got to figure out a way to control what they call the Outlands. So they they sent they put uh, Arthur Frayne, the the head guy in charge of it, and he came up with Zardoz. I'm gonna create this big head and make them worship it as a god, and then I'm gonna manipulate their society so they control their own population. I'm gonna create these uh, these exterminators to assassinate the people called the what they call the Bruders, or the the Brutals. And so the idea is the the exterminators are the only ones allowed to breed. So they're controlling the breeding so that they the rabble can't rise up against them and can't evolve. Why? Why can't they just hang out in their in their space thing? Because the idea is if if they got too if they if they if there became too many of them if they you know were able to sort of crawl out of the squalor that they were left in they might fucking break into the the vortex and and kill all the rich or, or attack all the rich people the idea is the 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 eternals the psychics they think they're preserving history and and they're sort of you know preserving the best of of what earth was and they think that they they, they don't want to let fucking basically it's like like homeless people they don't want to let homeless people in in our gentrified neighborhood okay i get i mean i get all that i just i didn't like it so Sean Connery, he's one of these brutals, uh, and so and they they worship this giant head Zardoz. I, I, man, you might have to take fucking lead on this. 
Because no, I want I want you to try on. to tell me what you think the movie is, and then I'm going to tell you what I think the movie <laughs> is, having given much more thought to it than you have. No, and again, not to say that you haven't, like you're an idiot or I just, like I said, I've watched this movie a million fucking times. It's a big part of my my personality. Yeah, there were just times where I'd be watching this movie, and then I'd like, and I was paying attention because I made sure to get. I got everything done at the beginning of the day. I like sped through all my work, and I'm like, all right, here's my lunch break. And then I'm going to watch Zardoz. I'm going to focus on this thing because uh, I want to actually go into this podcast with a with a knowledgeable mind of Zardoz. And then I'd be like, did I, I was I had five minutes went by? I don't know what the hell happened. Where is he now? So many tickets that didn't get worked because you had to pay attention to Zardoz. <laughs> Every ticket I closed was just Zardoz. <laughs> How do we fix this computer issue? I don't know, Zardoz. I gave everyone access to Zardoz. Did you send your mind into the tabernacle to destroy it? That might help. Uh, <clears throat> so Sean Connery, he goes into this giant head. And uh, he's like, hey, what's this giant head? And then for like 20 minutes, he's just walking around, just like looking at shit. Um, and yeah, I, I got nothing. He's just walking around looking at shit. Uh, and then what the hell else happened? Well, before that, thing? he I shoots was... Arthur Frayne. He, he sees this guy who you he oh, saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, he shoots this guy that's living in Zarda. I was like, I could have told you. Uh, you eventually find out that they reincarnate every time they die. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a big plot point. The first thing he does in this head is sees a dude and shoots him. Um, and I, I think at that point, he doesn't know who that guy is. He doesn't either. He wasn't aware of or didn't remember. I think just wasn't aware of the fact that he was the guy who was manipulating. Because you get a flashback later where they interact, but he was always wearing a mask. So I guess he didn't see that that was the same guy. Yeah, I took that as Sean Connery just shot him because that's what they do. Like, yeah, he just like yeah, he's they're just trained to just kill. Yeah. yeah, they're trained to kill anyone who's not them. Right? I think so. Basically, yeah, because I think they pretty much kill indiscriminately or rape if they if they want to. Yeah, no, that's all they do. They're the brutals. They just they, they go around on horses and shoot yeah. people. Uh, so yeah, he shoots this dude and then he flies away. <laughs> I did. Kind of, I kind of like that. I liked how he just like floated off into into the clouds. That's one thing I, that bothered me because later on you see like they like we're gonna call up his last memories, but in his last memories you see him. It's not from his point of view, which I don't think they could have done that. I guess logistically with the technology at the time, like to show a guy falling from his POV. But I feel like they should have found some way to approximate that rather than like you see it from a weird external perspective. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, he's just floating That's around. That's my problem. He's just walking around this. <laughs> what are your problems, Asardas? Um, yeah, well, like, cause you don't know what the fuck's going on for so long. Um, cause the first thing that really happens is uh, he just, does he get captured? I can't even fucking remember now. Well, event, uh, at first, yeah, he's just going around finding all this shit. And it's just, you know, again, stranger in a strange land. He's exploring this weird place that is nothing like where he comes from. You know, it's refined and it's got all this weird technology. He eventually finds Arthur Frayne's house. Uh, he find, and he finds his ring, which that becomes important later. You find out, like, that's how they connect to the big supercomputer that they all, you know, sort of. I, they don't worship it like a god. He eventually sort of claims to be a god, but the, the idea is, like, he, it's just like a cell phone. They can call up information and holograms and shit. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, he gets caught by not Charlotte Rampling, but the other one, uh, who uh, uh, they all have psychic powers, and she subdues him psychically and brings him in and, and is studying his memory because she's the one that wants to study him to figure out, you know, how to sort of incorporate him into their society and possibly breed with him. 
because uh, she wants more pe- she wants more babies. They've been, since they are immortal and they re- they reincarnate. She uh, they've been stagnate. They don't have uh, you know, any increasing population. So she wants to increase the population, and that's why she's found this virile man and went, oh, maybe he can teach us how to fuck again. But why would you want to increase the population if everyone's immortal? Because they're immortal, but like half the society is either the renegades who are like fucking they 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 age them to be like senile creeps, or they're the apathetics who aren't contributing to anything because they've given up on life and they're just you know zombies. So I think they she wants more productive people of society. Because right. yeah, then they scan his memory. So do they do they know? What's on the outside world? I guess they know. What do, what do they know? What do they know and not know? They don't know, they know much. Because remember, Arthur Frayne's the only one that really works on the outside. Well, him and eventually his friend, the guy named Friend. Uh, but uh, they say like, oh, we just let him deal with it because nobody else wanted to. So they don't really know anything about them. Like they, they're studying like they because he's been like genetic, like like eugenically bred over generations to be this perfect human. But they don't know any of that shit's going on. Wait, Sean Connery has? Yeah. You you, you find out when they're studying his genetic code early on, she says, like, you know, you've been, you know, you know you're you more powerful than us, you know, than me. You could do, you know, you're everyone. Like, his, his psychic potential is that. And you find out later on that that's because that's what Arthur Frayne did. He was trying to build somebody powerful enough to get through their psychic, you know, powers and, and you know, do what he needed him to do. All right. I missed all that. I mean, I feel like it was explicit in the film. No, I thought I thought about reading the Wikipedia plot synopsis just so I could go like, oh, okay, I think I remember that happening, I guess. But the idea he was doing all of that under all of their noses, because he is of the, the mind that their society is decadent and needs to end, so they need to figure out a way to, to destroy... It's called the tabernacle, the thing that keeps reincarnating him. He doesn't know how to destroy it. He needs to build somebody who can destroy it. So it was Arthur Fran's plan all along to have Sean Connery come in here and fuck shit up. Yeah, because remember, all the people that are currently locked in this system, in this tabernacle... They aren't strong enough to defeat it. They're all part of the hive mind. So he needed to build somebody with a mind strong enough to be able to basically invade it and destroy it from within. And that's what happens in the third act. He kills that mechanism and then they're like, oh, we can die now. Please shoot me, Sean Connery. (laughs) Which is the greatest ending to a film ever. Uh, Yeah, Uh, that way. I don't know. It was just why oh, I don't know, man. While I was in this thing, I'm just like I am so. Did it? Bored. Did any of it appeal to you? Did you like any of it? Um, no, <laughs> not a single thing. Well, and we we should get to this because talking about this being my favorite movie and why I like it, a lot of it comes from my own sort of. I don't know what you would say, like anti-fascist, anarchist kind of political philosophy that I've developed over the years. Like, this is the perfect movie for me because it's all about how, like, the rich people, like, fuck over the poor people and then the poor people get even and kill them all. (laughs) Like, that's kind of what I like about it. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely an Eat the Rich movie. And it's like the, to me, it's the ultimate Eat the Rich movie because it's like, you know, it's like the idea of like Elon Musk wants to build a spaceship so that he can destroy our planet and go to fucking Mars. Like, this is like, what if they actually did that kind of, you know, and and, and we can fucking track him down. We can build our own spaceship and then shoot him in the fucking face. 
I just, that's, I don't know, it speaks to me in a, in a very primal way. I don't know, ideas are one thing, but... <laughs> this movie makes no fucking sense while you're watching it. Okay, but again, it is a mystery. It is unraveling as it goes. But keep going. What are your What are your questions? I'm here to answer your questions about Sardice, George. Um, I don't think I have any. Did the because uh, well, he, I I took uh like four notes. One of my notes says I'm 30 minutes in. I have no idea what's going on. I think this dude just likes killing people. Um, and then I well, the one part of the movie I did like, and it's not even a part. It's just one little shot. Of Sean Connery entering the glass triangle thing. Wait, the glass triangle thing. Oh, do you mean like what the... is it? It's oh, like a prism or something. Yeah, when they enter the thing, and that's yeah, and he sort of like slides in. That's it. Yeah. It's like they're it, again. It's like their hive mind, sort of like they're all. There's one scene where you see them like putting a crystal in a girl's forehead. That's a thing that connects them psychically to this thing called the tabernacle, this crystal. And it's literally like a little crystal, but it's like it has infinite storage capacity because it's just reflective glass and, you know, psychic signals. And that the th- once as long as they're connected to that, every time they die, it sends a signal to it to build a new body for them and download their brain into the new body. And and it also gives them all their, their sort of psychic powers, which they use in this weird sort of egalitarian dem- democratic fashion to, like, you know, punish people. That, that There's that scene where they're all sort of trying to, you know, subdue the one guy who won't go along with them because he, he doesn't want them to find out what's in, what's in his head. You know, so, like, all those powers, they all come from that thing. And that's what he goes into. It. That That's how they study him. He goes into that thing. But the whole time I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about, like, uh, just how the movie was made and like what direction people were given. Cause like, I can't imagine any of this shit made sense. And when Sean Connery walks up to that, it's a mirrored prism. And uh, the lady's like, Hey, go on in. And my thought was, Oh, how do you go in that? You know, is there like a door or whatnot? <laughs> and what happens is Sean Connery just kind of steps behind it. And then he puts his arms up in the air and he goes like, Whoa. <laughs> Like, he just gets down on his knees. If they would have cut that by, like, five frames, it wouldn't have looked dumb. But it looks like Sean Connery's just going and kneeling on his knees. I would have done some kind of special effect where maybe he touches it and then, like, you cut and he's in there or something. There had to have been a better way to show Sean Connery entering that that mirrored prism thing. And that's what they they sort of do that later on when he actually does go into the tabernacle, like, on his, like, on his own, like there's this line where the, the voiceover goes, "You've penetrated me," and it's like he's just in the same room, but then he slowly realizes it's not the same room; it's inside this virtual environment. So there are better ways that even in the movie that they they show that, <laughs> just not in yeah. this scene. So I just imagine like John Borman talking to Sean Connery, going, "Okay, so here's the scene. You're going to walk up to that thing, and uh, you, this is where you go into the." Into the what do you, what what you would call and Sean Connery's like, oh, how do I get in that thing? <laughs> He's like, oh, you know, just walk behind it and go like, <laughs> and <laughs> pretend you're falling. In your defense, John Borman has come out and said, uh, and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone watching this film. Uh, he was on a lot of drugs when he made this movie, and parts of it don't <laughs> even make sense to him. That did not surprise me to read that this movie was fueled by narcotics. Oh, that was yeah, the and other one. <laughs> They were all fucking each other so much that they had a portable STI hospital on set. Oh, I did not read that part. 
Yeah, apparently they were all doing so many, like, so much LSD that, like, everybody was fucking, and they said the population of, of babies surrounding this went up, like, is like 15% higher than the average of a, <laughs> because, like, they were all just fucking each other and getting STDs. No, no, I missed that part. Um, but yeah, no, this, this, I, there were parts of this movie where I was like, man, I should have fucking smoked some weed or something before I watched this, but I was like, ah, shit, I'm at work, what if I have to do something? Well, and that's, the Sean Connery of it all does kind of fascinate me, because there's that famous story where he turned down The Matrix because he didn't understand it, and then he turned down <laughs> Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand it, and then he did Lord of, they give a shorter gentleman because he's like, ah, fuck it, I guess I'll do this. What the fuck, what, what, but you did Zardoz. Did you understand Zardoz? I uh, yeah, I sure as hell fucking don't. Um, is it, Charlotte Ramplin's trying to give him a boner at one point. Yeah, well, I thought that was kind of interesting. That's because yeah, because in this this society they don't procreate anymore, and they've basically lost all sexual drive or even understanding of what sexuality is. So to them, like the idea, like why can't men get erections anymore? And in their mind, it's like, well, because they don't need to. But they're like, we don't even really understand what that is. But this guy can get erections now, so let's try to figure out what the fuck that is. Yeah, so they take him in this room and they show him a bunch of like, uh, they show him a lady like soaping up her boobs, and then they show him some mud wrestling, and then I, I think I'm reading the scene right. Everyone is just so amazed by Sean Connery's boner, they break out into applause. Yes. But f- okay. for this society, that makes sense. Because that's the other part of this is like the the human pet scenario where like he's the most interesting thing that has happened to these people in like hundreds upon hundreds of years. So like he's basically like an instant celebrity and sort of their pet. Like he's like, you know, the elephant man, but, you know, virile sort of like he's just like they're endlessly fascinated with him in all respects like later on you get the apathetics who like they taste his sweat and they're like oh my god i know life for the first time and they all start having like an orgy the idea is it's like his effect on all these people who have all been stuck in this endless purgatory of immortality you know this is the thing they claim to want because they thought they were superior to everyone else and then this primitive ape man is like no i'm gonna show you all that you're fucking living in shit and you want to die, and then I'm going to kill you. What was... So I'm, I'm just skipping around in the movie in the background. Uh, if there's anything specific you want to talk about, please feel free. But the scene where Sean Connery is trying to... I guess he's trying to leave, and uh, he like presses his face up to a thing of glass like in front of the camera, so it's like... You know you know the scene I'm talking yeah, about, Yeah, I, right? I know what you're talking about. I, yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but like he just he. Well, there's an his invisible hand. force field around this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's touching the side of it. Uh, how have I seen that before? How have you seen it before? I don't know. <laughs> what is that in? Oh, you mean like something, that... some other movie, not that particular scene. Yeah, as soon as that happened, I was like, I, I have seen this scene before. I have never seen this movie. How do I, how have I seen that before? I, I mean, if it's in something else, I don't, I can't think of what it would be off the top of my head. I mean, it seems like a fairly standard way of of depicting an invisible barrier. I just, I don't know. I couldn't, I could not think of what you were talking, what you were thinking about. Okay. Yeah. It's just, as soon as that happened, I was like, I, I know I've seen this before. And, uh. Well, you know, there's a lot of this movie, I feel like, me. just because it's like, I mean, I guess you want to say British sci-fi. Like, it feels a lot like The Prisoner to me. 
in the terms of like an environment that is deliberately surrealistic and you're trapped in it and there are people in, and everyone else in it is like sort of your captors. I got a lot of prisoner. I don't know if you ever watched that show, The Prisoner. Uh, no, I never seen it. But I was I was getting I a lot of vibes of from of that from this. Uh, this is the first time I've seen it in a couple of years, so I, I was kind of rekindling some of those uh, feelings. But uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the the big in terms of I don't know if that ever happened in the prisoner, but that's the only thing I can think of. Okay, well, I, I went on the IMDb. There are there is not a reference section, so if anyone knows what I'm talking about, is that scene in another movie? Is there is someone watching it on TV and it like? Is well, fucking, are, are you does, talking about a scene Billy Crystal... where that thing happens, or are you talking about that scene? Like, that specific scene of Sean Connery. So I'm like, did Billy Crystal take Meg Ryan to the movie theater to see Zardoz and When Harry Met Sally, and that's the scene they showed? Well, I mean, I could... <laughs> I don't think that's it, but I'd like something like that. Like, maybe somebody in another movie is watching Zardoz, and they show that scene. Because I know I've seen that before. I didn't watch the trailer. It's possible it's in the trailer. Is it possible that you've seen the trailer before? Like I like like it. when How Did This Get Made did it. I'm sure they've done this movie. Oh, maybe. Maybe, I, maybe I've just seen the trailer to Zardoz. <laughs> but no, I've lived in a zardoz world for 40 years now. And I know Dan Harmon has made... just fine. Dan, Dan Harmon has made references to it. There's a whole episode of Community based on it. There's references in Rick and Morty. Uh, so, you know, What's the Community based? Uh, the, oh, is that Meow Meow Beans? Yeah, Meow Meow Beans is a direct reference to this. <laughs> Okay, alright. Alright, well now I'll rewatch that episode of Community. <laughs> and enjoy that way more than Zardoz. Yeah, well I enjoyed that without even knowing it was a reference to Zardoz. And yeah, he talked about it on his podcast all the time. It's not I don't think it's one of his favorite movies, but he, he does enjoy it, I think, on a camp level. Um alright, yeah, I really I don't have any questions. Oh, well, I guess we gotta talk about uh <laughs> so okay. This lady pulls uh, Sean Connery in, and uh, she's going to scan his memories. Uh, at one point, he's uh, he's shooting up some stuff, goes into a building, and uh, he ends up in a library. And he learns how to read? Yeah. Uh, but again, remember, he's been bred to be more intelligent than everyone else around him. So he, okay. he's able I did to, not know that. He's able to read. And she asked him, like, how long did it take you? He's like, oh, it came easy to me. Because his brain has been sort of programmed to be better okay because yeah the first book he sees is like a learn the alphabet book and then i guess he learns how to read so he reads every book in the library uh and then he stumbles upon the wizard of oz and uh immediately comes to the conclusion that zardoz is basically doing the same thing and uh wasn't even clever with the name just took the the middle of wizard oz and just made zardoz well, to me, I, you can say it wasn't clever with the name. I think the implication of that, and this isn't necessarily explicit, but this is just what I took from it. I think that was on purpose. I think that was a puzzle he was putting out there so that someone would solve it. The idea is he wanted them to eventually learn that this was fake so that they would rebel. Because remember, what he wants to do is destroy the society. So they gave him the control of these people. And he's like, this is the perfect group of people that I could use for my plan uh, to destroy society. I'll use them. I'll breed the perfect one of them to be the ultimate exterminator and then turn him on us. And so that was the idea. Like that's part of it is that's the trigger. I'm going to show I'm going to give you a god and then I'm going to show you that god is fake and get and so that you want revenge and then you're going to come for us. Okay, cuz Arthur Arthur set this whole library thing up, right? Well, he, he was the guy who let him in. Yeah, he lured him in. Remember he's in the window and you know he Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh 
And, yeah, and then he finds out it's the Wizard of Oz, and he's like, ah, oh, that's, uh, that's shitty. I don't like that. <laughs> and then some stuff happens. A lot of stuff happens. You have, like, a weird sort of love triangle thing where, like, Charlotte Rampling, it turns out, like, she wants to kill him because he's polluting their psychic environment, and then eventually she can't do it because she wants to fuck Sean Connery, too. And there's that whole thing, and then, and just the idea of, like, just the different facets of the world. Like, I mentioned the apathetics who are just, like, you know, they've given up, so they're just standing around, and they have to feed them. So that's why they had to make them start farming, because it's like, shit, we need bread to fucking feed these people, because they won't feed themselves. And then you have the renegades, that whole, basically like an old folks' home, because that's how they punish people. They they add years to their lives, but they don't let them die. So they just become these crazy fucking, like, that. I was getting, like, fucking, uh, um, like, Terry Gilliam vibes from all that shit. Like, that sounds like something that's in Brazil. It's not. But. I don't know. So you think this movie's easy to follow? Because, I, like I said, I couldn't follow. We're, now I'm, like, I'm watching, like I said, I'm watching in the background. The last half hour of this movie, I'm skimming through it, and I'm like, okay, I remember these scenes, but wait, why was Sean Connery in a wedding dress? I remember that happening. Well, because he was hiding from the Charlotte Ramplings group who was, who was trying to hunt him. Okay, and then, so he... Okay, so the the people because I remember that happened at like the dinner scene. They send the wait. Who's the blonde guy with the perm? The the blonde guy. His name is Friend. I don't know if that's his real name. But that's just what he calls himself to Sean Connery. He is he has, shares Arthur Frayne's philosophy and is working with him and is like his best friend. And he's you know he kind. I think he know he says at one point like I know more than you think. He doesn't necessarily establish how much he knows, but he clearly seems to know that Arthur Frayne has set Sean Connery Zed up to be something. Uh, I don't know if he knows the whole plan or not, but by the end, they're like all chummy and they're like, you know, yeah, didn't our plan work out? Uh, and at one point, does he start talking backwards? I, that I didn't get. I think that I, I there was a yeah a scene where he's like talking and I that's just I think that's just meant to be like a weird way of like. Because like they find him charming as a result of that, like it's a weird trick that he can do. Yeah, and I th- I think that's all it is. I don't know that it means anything beyond that. Okay, yeah, I didn't I didn't understand what the hell was going on there. Uh, and then, um... but I, I really like that scene at the like the the lunch where you know Zed's been told like no, just you got to blend in and don't ruffle any feathers. And then he that guy like he doesn't want them to scan his his brain because I think because he knows the plan. Uh, so he's sort of protecting Zed at that point. And they're like all like sort of bearing down on him. And then they, of course, then they turn him into the weird half old man. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then, and then they break out, but yeah. And then when they went into like the hall of mirrors and shit, I, that's when I just completely tuned out. I'm like, okay, I don't know what's happening. Well, again, well, Okay. <laughs> The Hall of Mirrors is the tabernacle. That's the the computer AI thing that controls all this. That's the voice that's talking out of all their rings, and it's ultimately the voice of the supercomputer that govern that sort of governs the whole thing. And that's the thing he needs to destroy in order to make them mortal again, so he can kill them. So and remember, it's a crystal, and they say like it's a crystal, and it's it's infinitely reflective inside. So it's you can you know your your mind, your AI mind is stored within this thing. And then he enters it, so inside of it, it takes the form of a hall of mirrors, because that's what it essentially what it is, and and it's all and, and within it is reflected all of the personalities of all the like all the people, all the Eternals inside of it. That's why you see them like, you know, in those that weird black void where they're all like moving around weird. Like, okay, yeah, it just looked like a fucking 
art film. <laughs> a like, lot of this does. I... Well, like the scene where he's absorbing all of their information through osmotic osmotic touch, and it's like they have like the the information's reflected on one person, and, like they move the the camera lens so the light goes into him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which I like that as a as a way of conveying that in an interesting way, rather than like you know the Matrix where he just gets up and goes, "Oh, you downloaded Kung Fu into my brain? Yes, we did." Like they actually like they found a visual way to represent that same concept, which I like. Um. Yeah, and then I had to go to the store, so I ran to the store. I had fifteen minutes left, and then I came back and I'd forgotten everything. So the last fifteen minutes of this movie. That's what I'm like. Ah, everybody's getting murdered. Well, that's because uh, they've destroyed the tabernacle, so they can be right. killed. And they all basically, at that point, they're like, they're all on board with it. They're like, yeah, we can be killed. That's the the one thing we want because we've done everything else and we're bored to death. And so they beg, they beg uh, the the uh, the uh, exterminators to murder them. Yeah, I don't know, man. <sighs> I don't know what falls apart in this movie because I like the ideas. Uh, I like the themes, but I what the- it was just so uninteresting to look at. Uh, nothing seemed to make fucking sense. And then random shit would happen. And then I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to pay attention to, what I'm not supposed to pay attention to. Um I did like the murder at the end, and uh, that's about it. See, and I think that's the crux of it. When you talk like talk about like, was this easy to follow for me, or was it hard to follow for you? I think the the first hurdle is just engagement. You have to be interested enough in it as a thing. Like you were kind of forced to watch this because it was my favorite movie, and you're watching it for a podcast. And you're not a huge sci-fi guy, so like, I I wouldn't necessarily expect you to like see that first sequence of the fucking head coming down and Sean Connery with the gun and for him coming out of the thing, like in the mystery of like, Oh, what's he doing? What's going on here? Like, I don't necessarily expect you to to be automatically engaged with that in the way that I was the first time I saw it. Like I wanted to know the answer to this mystery. So I was engaged. And so as it was going, each new puzzle piece wanted me to see the next puzzle piece and put everything together. Whereas if you don't have that right away, if you're watching it out of obligation uh, or just out of general interest, but you don't necessarily key into it right away, yeah, you're not going to be, you're not going to be following along that step by step path. I think that'd be the same for any kind of mystery, any kind of like David Fincher movie or anything. Like if you don't care about it from the get the get go, if it doesn't draw you in, if it doesn't hook you, then you're going to be lost. Yeah, and I don't know when it lost me. I think it lost me when they started scanning his memories. <laughs> like I guess when the plot started, I was like, oh no. Well, that's a, also a big <laughs> hurdle because you talk about save the cat and like you have to have a scene towards the beginning of the movie that introduces your character as a hero that people would want to follow. And in this movie, it's him raping a lady. <laughs> yeah, I took her True. in the name of Zardoz. So, like, if if you can't get past that, the rest of it isn't going to be a, a fun ride for you. Uh, yeah, well, no, because, like, the giant head thing, I'm like, ooh, okay, giant head spitting out guns. All right, I'm down, I'm down. Sean Connery's in the head. All right. Hey, he shot a guy. All right, all right. And then he just wanders around for 20 minutes, and I'm like, uh, bored. But even like... And then... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and then when they started talking, like, after that 20 minutes, I was like, oh, shit, now I'm, I'm like, lost. But, like, even the gun stuff, to me, like, just thinking of our, our modern gun culture and the way that it, that you can argue it is 
kind of a conspiracy where like the rich people, the Elon Musks of the world, they live in their mansions protected and they foster a culture where we're all shooting each other and, and debasing it. Like it's brutalizing. Like that's the idea is like the, the, the wealthy, the elites, they brutalize the rabble so that they can never rise up, you know? And, and part of that is let's flood the place full of guns and just give them stupid bullshit reasons to shoot each other. You hate this person for being gay, go shoot up a drag show. And then they won't ever come together and realize we're the ones fucking them. And like, that's basic, literally what's happening here. Um, yeah, no, I, I dig all that. I like those themes, but, um, uh. I had something to say. Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't put together that this was like, um, I mean, I guess I knew it was post-apocalyptic, but I guess I didn't put together that like these were all like the rich people who shot themselves up into space. When did they make that clear? There's a, I, who was it that was telling the story? I can't remember if it was Charlotte Rampling or the other one that was telling the story. They actually have like a flashback where you see them all young you know, creating the thing. And then there's like a scene where like all the poor people are like banging up against the glass and they're looking at them and say like, we had to harden our hearts to them and, you know, manipulate them. Like they, they actually say that explicitly in that flashback. Okay. That might've been one of them parts where it was like <laughs> five minutes went by and I was like, wait, what happened in the last five minutes? Was well, That's the other thing. I watched this. I'm sure I watched the same version you did. It was like 105 minutes or whatever. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or an hour and 40. Uh, but I actually, I, cause I own this on DVD, which is the extended director's cut with commentary, which I want to say is over two hours. Um, and I, but I'm struggling to think how much of the additional footage added to my, like, expanded my understanding of it beyond what I got here. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like you got enough here to at least understand the basic idea of what's happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no. <laughs> Well, again, if you have any questions, I'm here to answer them. I don't really have any questions. I guess, like, I it's not like I don't understand what the hell's going on. Um, I didn't while I was watching the movie. And then, like, towards the end, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But, like, I don't know. It was just like, I watched an hour and a half of something I didn't understand, and now I get it. What am I going to do now? <laughs> well, this, because I've always looked at this movie as, like, if they, if if a, if a movie studio was ever dumb enough to give me money and said you can make a movie, but it's not an original idea, it's got to be a remake of something. This is the movie I would remake because all the ideas are great, but it didn't have the technology, the 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 budget, or the like. There was just at the time you couldn't really convey it in a way that was as clear as it could be. I think now where you can just do anything with CGI, I think this would be a great movie to make. And with all the you know as income inequality and everything, like that's all gotten even worse. You know, I think it's a, a much clearer anti-establishment message. I think, I think this would be a great movie to to remake today. Would it be better if we saw like a prologue of how we got here? You mean where a floating head comes in and says, "Hey, I'm Arthur Frayne, and I'm also Zardoz." Yeah, maybe like, uh, uh, let me be the studio head, <laughs> telling John Borman how to make his film. Uh, would it be better if they had something like, hey, uh, we're in 1974. Hey, let's let's catch you up to speed. So this movie takes place in 202093. And, you know, here's what happened. Here's how we got here. And then I, as an audience, go, oh, okay, I got it. And again, it's hard for me to put myself in that place of not knowing where it's going because I've seen it so many times. So, like, the idea that you would be lost and not be able to put together just basic sort of narrative threads, I, I don't think I was there at the first, but, like, I, I can kind of, I can understand that. 
but it's just it's hard for me now because it's like no i know exactly what all of this is leading up to you know but i don't know yeah it's it's probably like 40 minutes in where it's 40 45 minutes in where it starts to go like okay i'm kind of getting what's going on here um but at that point the movie had already lost me that's the problem did you ever see logan's run no. Oh, okay. Because I was, was going to compare it to that because that's another 70s sci-fi movie. But that's much more like pulpy action. But there's this one sequence where they actually go to what's called Carousel. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've never seen Logan's Run. It basically, it's a future society and everybody's really young because I think it's like when you're 20 or 25 or something, you have a little crystal in your palm and it starts glowing red. And then it's like, oh, now it's my time to die. I have to go to Carousel and they sacrifice themselves. And that's just how their society works. Uh, and the whole movie is like there's a guy who chases down the people who don't submit themselves to carousel he's like a bounty hunter and eventually they figure out that there's lot they've been told lies about the outside world all this other shit but but it's like a fairly straightforward sci-fi action movie but the carousel sequence is like every scene in this movie where it's like they're floating and like spinning around and it's all very artsy and experimental like just trying weird angles and shit and way to ways to film and it's like if you took that one sequence and made it an entire movie that's zardoz yeah well it's like uh the director has an idea of what he wants to convey, um, but he's coked out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> I think it was more LSD. And then, he, but... and then he films it and he's like, this makes sense, right? Well, it makes sense to me. <laughs> and that's and the, the pacing is another thing, because again, it's pre-Star Wars. Sci-fi movies but before then were more like this. They were paced very deliberately and... and you know, it took their time to get to what it wanted to get to. You know, it, you know, Lucas was like, no, we just want to see laser guns and laser swords. And that's what all sci-fi movies became after that. And I'm not even shitting on that as a, a better way to better or worse way to do sci-fi movies. I, I like the Star Wars movies well enough, but I don't I I think there's room for this. Me being a, a bigger nerd, I think. You know, I, I don't know. I kind of like the, the slower, more thoughtful pace of something like this to something like. I don't know, Blade Runner. Uh, I don't like Blade Runner either. Yeah, I don't well, either, also, yeah. I'm just, I'm not a sci-fi guy. I just, I never have been. I'm not even big into Star Wars. I That's that's the other thing I was curious about, just as a non-sci-fi fan, because this is the, probably the most up-its-own-ass sci-fi movie that I can tolerate, that I like, you know? And so I was curious, like, if it would just, I, I was fully expecting you to come to this and be like, no, I hated all of this passionately, and like, just be mad about it. Um, I didn't hate it passionately. Like I said, I, I wish it was more, I wish it interest, interested in me more. Um, and that's that's where I was let down by it. Because I was just like, I got half an hour in and I'm like, what the fuck is this thing? Well, that's um, that's what's kind of surprising me is that the so bad it's good thing didn't hit for you. Because this is everybody's cult movie of like, oh, look at him in the red loincloth. And, you know. I, I know. I was waiting for that too. It, like when the giant going back to the very beginning of the movie floating head i'm like strap in baby and then big giant head i'm like okay and then i'm like sean connery's fucking dick and balls hanging out basically the entire movie i'm like all right let's see where this goes and i'm just like oh there's his ass see and uh there's the outline of his dick but there's so much stuff to me like i go back to that scene in lunch where they're they're all like holding up their arms like sort of zombies and like pointing at him going like renegade renegade and he's like twitching and shit like that i don't know that's the stuff that to me the stuff that feels like like film school 
I'm going to do this arty and experimental. Like the, when they go into the tabernacle and they're all waving their hands in front of the black screen and shit. Like that's the stuff that to me comes off as just incredibly cheesy. And that I, even as much as I love this movie unironically, I still laugh at those moments. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't even get that. Couldn't even get that. Okay, well, more, my, my big thing is like, again, I've told you this is my favorite movie and I'm defending it effusively. Does it tell you anything more about me as we go forward on this podcast or we watch movies together? Has it changed your opinion or your level of respect for me and my taste in film? <clears throat> uh, no, because I, uh, if, if you want me to dive into your psyche, I have always felt that you uh, like a movie's ideas more than you like a movie. Well, if the movie's ideas hook me, its execution is less important. Yes. Yeah. No, you because uh, there there'll be sometimes where I was like, "Why the fuck did you like that?" Well, like Pumpkin was a good example. Like you, you fucking like Pumpkin, and then the what you took away from Pumpkin is like you know what questions it uh, left you with, you know about like uh, you know about about your feelings. Me, I just watch movies for story. I just want. You know, give me A B A to B to C, and then let me enjoy the ride. Well, that's and I've gotten into arguments with well, not arguments, but discussions with uh, my co-host of my other podcast, Nate, because like he can pick out individual things about a movie, like well, I really like the soundtrack, or I really liked the the tone, or whatever, or the or you know this sequence and how it was executed as a as a set piece. And I mean, I and I get that. I mean, that's fine. It's not a bad thing, but I can't do that. I look at movies holistically. And it's like, as long as that central idea is interesting or, you know, like, like that's that through line of that, like, that's like the, the, the bare minimum thing. Everything else can be shit for all I care. Like, I've watched, like, I watch legitimately bad, like, 50 sci-fi movies. But yeah, if I like, you know, the main idea behind it, I, the fact that it's rubber suits, you know, I, I, I grew up watching fucking Star Trek and Doctor Who, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't phase me at all. Uh, yeah, no, no I, I just, you know. I just like story. <laughs> well, like, um, this is off topic, but it's a different movie. Um, have you seen or heard of the film After Sun? After Sun? No. It's a new movie. It's like an independent movie that's like the critics pick this year. Everyone, all the critics are going nuts for this movie After Sun. So I watched it and it's just a bunch of random scenes of shit. Like nothing happens. And so I like, I'm looking up other reviews of why people liked it. And they're like, well, I liked it because it's really a journey of memory and you're getting this, these memories and sometimes they're unreliable. And I'm like, okay, I like that. Like I like, I like the idea behind the movie, but still, it's just a bunch of random fucking scenes put together. There's no plot. There's no story. See, but I wouldn't argue like, that Zardoz is like that. I think all the scenes, they're not all, they're not in the right order. It's, it's told non-linearly, but I think. Oh, it is? It all comes together. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it was? Well, in terms of like, there's, there's a lot of the stuff doesn't come, come into fruition until you get the flashback that explains it. Oh, you okay? You mean you're give you're we're getting our information in kind of piece? Yeah, you're, it's not told. But like the story A to B okay. to C. I know, like I his okay. I know there's flashbacks, yeah. but like all the scene, like Sean Connery, it's not like scenes are jumbled out of order. No, no, his journey is linear, but okay. in terms of the clues that you get, they're out of order, so that can be disconcerting. But I think everything makes sense by the end. You get why, you know, and maybe it was depicted weird, but like, yeah, when he goes into that place and they're like, we're going to give you our information. Like, it's a weird scene, but it 
it, it connects to the rest of it. Like they're they're giving him the information he needs to go on his mission. You know, it's like the, everything. It's not like a mood piece in the way like a Terrence Malick movie is. Yeah, no, I no, I understood basically what was going on by the end of it. I mean, while I was watching it, I was like, "What the like, what ha- what's happening?" Now? But like, compare this to like the Tree of Life, where at the end, <laughs> there's nothing to get. It's not like it was weird and maybe not executed as well as it could be. But by the end, I understand what he was getting at. By the end of Tree of Life, there was fucking dinosaurs and shit, and and it's like, what the fuck does any of this mean? And then you get to the end, you're like, oh, it meant fucking nothing. He was just doodling yeah. around and putting in random shit. Like that's what I think you're talking about when it's like random scenes. Or like that's why I don't like A two four horror movies. Like I don't. See, did you ever see Lamb? The no. where Rumi, Rumi the Numi Rapace adopts a lamb headed baby. No, I saw Men. I didn't see that, but I get. I got the impression that was a similar thing. Like it didn't really come to anything important at the end. Uh, basically, all men are the same, and they're all uh, evil. I mean, sure, and that's well enough, but I, I mean, as a... You kind of get that from the poster, though. Uh, yeah, I got that from the trailer, but as a narrative, I, I, well, I know Nate saw it, he reviewed it on the podcast, and he said that, yeah, by the end, it was just like a bunch of bullshit. Oh, yeah. Uh, basically. Um, but, and yeah, like, well, yeah, people watch movies differently. Like, you know, last year, The Power of the Dog, critics loved that, and I'm just like, I get that it's beautiful, and like, the music's great, and the, it's a well-made film, but like, you could have told that story in 20 minutes. Yeah, but but at the same time, like, you loved Hot to Trot. <laughs> <laughs> and every time you reference that, I'm like, doesn't it suck that he lives in Cleveland and I can't punch him in the face? <laughs> but in fairness, Hot to Trot, I knew, I knew what was going on the whole time. <laughs> that movie starts with a talking horse, it ends with a talking horse. In the middle, there's a talking horse. Because it almost makes me want to watch, and I don't want to watch it ever again, so I don't want to watch it for the podcast. But uh, have you ever seen Putney Swope? No. That's the movie that I watched where I felt like you did at the end of Zardoz, where it's like, yeah, I get the point you were making, but fuck you. Like, it's it's yeah. a Robert Downey Sr. movie about a black guy that becomes the head of this corporation by accident, sort of. They all vote for him because they think nobody else will, and then he gets the most votes to be CEO. And it's just, like, the main point is just, you know, racism in the industry, and then whatever. But it's like, fucking... It's just so slapdash and like, I've got a point to make and I'll make it in the most esoteric way possible. And I'd be curious to kind of get your reaction on Putney Swope. Uh, I'll probably never watch that. Uh, anyway, what? Uh, anything else with Zardoz? Um, oh, uh, the ending, <laughs> the, the last shot of the film, uh, which I had like five minutes left of the movie. And I was thinking this was a movie made today where I'm like, oh, the last seven minutes is going to be end credits, right? No, this movie goes right up to the end. Like, Well, I mean, it's, it's one of them 70s movies that's like, boom, this movie ended by. It's a montage. And I would argue it's more important to the film than the fucking sing along to furry vengeance. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, there's no end credits to this movie, which I like. I, uh, I, I wish they would bring that back, you know? Yeah. Just. Put the credits online. If I want to see who the fucking key grip is, I'll look up who the key grip was. But just give me some title cards at the beginning and then just end your movie. I don't need 10 minutes of end credits. But th- basically, um, the end scene, the thematically, the idea is that, and they say it multiple times in the movie, the tabernacle or the vortex is an affront to nature. They defy nature by becoming immortal and, you know, 
I mean, obviously, presumably the, the the nuclear war that destroyed everything defied nature as well. They destroyed the planet, and then they pr- tried to preserve their humanity in terms of their art and their history in this really profane way by just not dying ever again and not giving birth ever again, extricating themselves from the cycle of, of life, death, and rebirth. And so the end is we've come back to nature. We've come back to the old way. We we had a child together, and then we raised that child, and then we died, but he went on to live his own life and probably start his own family. That's the idea. Is like now we're, we've reset everything, and now we're back to how it's supposed to be. We're not killing each yeah, other. Yeah, and that's... You know. That's told through uh, Charlotte Rampling giving birth, and then they're just uh, sitting there, and they just kind of time-lapse where she's breastfeeding her baby, and then they're sitting there with a uh, child, and then they're sitting there with a preteen, and then a teenager, and then an adult son, and then the adult son walks away, and then they just stay in the cave and gradually get older until they turn into skeletons. (laughs) They become Monty Python skeletons. And that's the, that's the image. <laughs> I like how the skeletons also have hair and a big beard. Yeah. And, well, and then it's like the cave painting kind of thing at the end, because it's almost like they've reverted back to like a preternatural state. You know, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, again, thematically, I'm on board with it. I like the idea. It is kind of silly as you're watching it. <laughs> that's yeah, If that's the a, main takeaway from Zardoz, I, I don't have a problem with that. It's a pretty silly ending, um, but I did want to mention the IMDb trivia about the ending. I did read this. Where they uh, they had to film this scene three times uh, because the... What happened the first time? I can't... I forgot what the, happened the, the first, first time. time. there was a scratch on the, the, the negative. And then the second time, the guy who was taking the thing to wherever it was processed, I guess, dropped the box or something. Yeah, I forgot what, I, for some reason, the and, and the makeup was so intensive, and Sean Connery fucking hated it. He hated getting into the old man makeup. So they filmed the scene, and they're like, all right, cut, that's a wrap, we'll never have to do that again. Say goodbye to that makeup chair, Sean Connery. And then I guess the guy's just like, oh, fuck, I lost the footage. <laughs> so like, oh, shit. Well, we'll film it again. And then the guy's like, all right, I got it. It's in the camera right here. And then he, like, opens up the door, and all the film gets exposed. <laughs> And Sean Connery's like, motherfucker. And, and I guess when Sean Connery was told that he would have to film this scene yet a third time, he went to find the camera operator to physically assault him and they had to hold him back from killing this man. Which is, and, and that's actually one the other thing I did want to mention, like the, like the makeup and the physical you know, experience that, that he has as an actor going through this. Like, there's that, do you remember that one shot where, like, he's getting chased and he, like, sort of skids down a mountainside? And it's, like, all in one take, it's, like, just him doing it. It's, like, an athletic feat that he does where he, like, goes really fast, like, slides down this mountain and then gets up into a leap. Like, that kind of shit. Like, I feel like actors don't have to do that shit anymore. Like, in the age of, like, CGI and, like, any stunt you have, if you're even in it, you're on wires. But that, it's like, no, Sean Connery had to put him throw himself through some shit for this movie. And I, I just, I don't know. And when I see that anymore, anything from the 70s and even into the 80s, I guess even into the 90s a little bit. But, you know, before the 2000s, before it was, like, clear that everything was CG, I don't know. I, I just, I respect it more. I just, like, like, oh, shit, he really fucking slid down that hill. Or he really had to sit for hours in that makeup three times. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's a... That's definitely a they don't make it like they used to. I was thinking of that while I was watching the movie, too. Just Sean Connery's physique. 
Like, uh, you know, you watch movies t- like fucking Chris Pratt has to have every single muscle in his body to the tightest it can be. Sean Connery, I mean, he's in shape, but, you know, he's just like, he's got like a fucking Mark Spitz 70s swimmer's body. And does it impact your enjoyment of it in terms of seeing him as kind of like a, because I think he's set up like, you know, like Khan from Star Trek, like the perfect epitome of humanity, of, of human achievement. I I buy that looking at him in this movie i don't need to have him be like fucking yeah chris hemsworth or whatever you know because like it's not like they're doing anything with those muscles because again all the stunts are stuntmen or cgi yeah so it's like why did you put yourself through that sean connery started off with that (laughs) yeah like you know chris hemsworth gets into peak physical condition to play thor but you know when he's thor all he's doing is standing in front of a green screen you know his stuntman's doing all the hard shit so it's like we just need that one guy to like lift weights every goddamn day to look pretty, and then the stuntman and the CGI take over. Back then, Sean Connery's like, "All right, I'll fucking run up this mountain. I'll run down the mountain." That, what really affected me with that? Did you see the Eternals? Uh, yeah, because remember the uh, Kumail uh, uh, Nanjiani, like, oh, got yeah. famously got like buff and shit for that movie, and like they showed that picture of him shirtless, and he's like fucking you know huge, and good for him. I mean, obviously he got healthy, and I'm sure he likes his new body. But then I watched that movie, and it's like he never takes his shirt off in that movie. Like you see his arms, yeah, but I feel can, like they could have done can that. Kind of see his arms. Like you could have just given in him one shot. It's you know. given him a long sleeve shirt. All he does is use finger guns. Like he did not need to do that for that fucking movie. Yeah. I I I had that exact same experience watching that movie. I was like, they could have at least given Kumail Nanjiani one time where he's like, I have to go. But before I do, let me just take this shirt off real quick. And I don't think I've seen him shirtless in anything since then. So it feels just like a waste of effort. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, that's... You, you call it healthy. He was healthy before. It's not like he was a big fat slob. No, but I mean, I'm sure, you know, like, I'm sure he's into the fact that he looks buff now. Like, you know, if I could get I that guess. way, I mean, if I could get that way magically without any effort, I'd be like, yeah, is, isn't this great? I just don't <laughs> want to do the shit I have to do to get there. See, I don't know. I'm more of a Sean Connery guy. I want to look like fucking Sean Connery running around in a loincloth. And again, think of remaking this movie. Who who would you re, who would you cast in the Sean Connery role if we remade Zardoz today? I mean, going for the same kind of thing, like because you don't. I don't want someone too charismatic. I was thinking Gerard uh, Butler. He he'd be all right. Yeah, someone in that vein where it's like you know, I I don't care. This guy doesn't need to be a good actor. But he just he's got like a mean like resting grimace face. You know, he's got that kind of yeah yeah yeah. I can see Gerard Butler doing that. Uh, All right, anything else to Zardoz Uh, before? I guess I'll spin the wheel. Spin the wheel, or just pick something again. We never gave you a birthday pick. Yeah, no, but I, I I guess I could just okay. I'll spin the wheel, and then if I don't like what comes up on the wheel, I'll just go through the options that are on the wheel. I mean, if um, you want to watch Pumpkin again, we can watch Pumpkin again. <laughs> uh, Turner and Hooch that I put on the wheel for SNL 5 Timer Tom Hanks. Again, I'm leaving this up to you because I just got to watch Zardoz for the 101st time and you had to watch it for the first time. If you want my input, I will definitely watch Turner and Hooch. I can watch I Turner mean, and I mean, ha- I think I saw it when I was a kid, but I don't really remember it. Um, and I, yeah, I've never, I've, I don't think I've ever seen it. Um, I mean, if you're going to watch Turner and Hooch, we might as well just watch Canine. I feel like we'll get more out of that. I was just about to say, or I just spun the wheel again and I got Canine 11. 
<laughs> well, remember, we have said, if we're going to watch K-9, we should watch all of them in succession. I'm up for that if you want to do a K-9 marathon. I think it's a, it's a trilogy, uh, right? Yes, it's K-9, K-9PI, and then K-9-11. But in also tradition of our podcast, I would like to start with the third one if we do that. Oh, I mean... Uh, Which is k 9 I'm up for that. No, it's not, by the way. It's K-9-1-1. <laughs> pretty sure it's k 9 I'm pretty sure Jim, Jim Belushi and a dog aren't saving the... The two towers from terrorists. Pretty, sh- pretty sure that's the plot of K nine eleven. But I'm up for that. But if we do that, I will then insist that we do the other two as well. Will you? I <laughs> mean, it depends now. on what I think of K nine eleven. But <laughs> you're telling me you're going to watch K nine eleven and then insist on watching two more Jim Belushi and a dog movie? Well, here's what I will say: we will watch K nine eleven. And then I will either insist on watching two other movies, or I will insist that we never watch any of the other movies. <laughs> I think that's more plausible, is we will watch K911 and we'll go, okay, no, no, we're not doing this ever again. But if I if it's the latter, I insist that we at least keep them on the wheel and force ourselves to do it if they ever come up again. Uh, all right, so have we settled on that? It's It's been on the, uh, on the wish list for a while. The, it's up to you. The, th- the third... Direct-to-video sequel of the K-9 trilogy. It's up to you. I'll, or you could spin again if you want to try to find one more one more thing. But I'm up for either I mean, of those. I'm, I'm good with K-9-11. That's so Okay, I'll spin one more. If this is better than K-9-11, we will watch that. If it is not, it's... Ooh! I, I can't remember who's in this or if I just put this on as a cheat pick. Uh, but the... The Warren Beatty film, Town and Country? Oh my god. I mean, I will say I've been more interested in that. That's like a notorious bomb. Like one of the, supposedly like one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, it killed a bunch of careers. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was, yeah, I think like the director never worked again. Like Warren Beatty, like didn't, yeah, it was his last movie until 2016. And it came out in 2001. I mean, I, I, Again, I'm leaving it up to you, uh, but yeah, I've always wanted to watch that movie just for how like its the, its reputation for shittiness. Um, but I mean, K nine eleven as if K nine eleven is going to be like fucking Citizen Kane compared to Town and Country. That's true. I I, I must have put this on here for Buck Henry because I put the five timers on. I went through the five timers filmography, and Buck Henry uh, wrote this. You know, uh, Uncle Roy. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I know exactly who Buck Henry is. <laughs> this movie was written by Uncle Roy himself. And and I mean, again, I'm I'm leaving it totally up to you. I think it, at this point it's between K911 and and Town and Country. I know, both of those are good options. Um But if I had to pick, I mean, I'll keep Town and Country on the wheel, but I think I got to go K911. All right, I think that's a respectable choice. All right. So next week we will be watching the Jim Belushi classic I suspect I suspect it probably won't be as thought provoking as Zardoz (laughs) unless that's the twist you know like he's reading the book and it's Wizard of Oz is Zardoz if it turns out 911 really is 911 and it predicted (laughs) 911 like it's the loose change documentary of fucking Jim Belushi talking dog movie I don't even think the dog talks I think it's just a regular dog Uh, I don't believe he's a talking dog but yeah, no, I mean, if it if it fucking predicts a future terrorist attack, then I am totally on board. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I, if anything, I feel like I'll at least be able to follow it. 
Unless there's too many references to the K-9 trilogy, which I have yet to see. Well, I just hope that Jim Belushi ends up in a loincloth where we get to see his dick and balls. (laughs) Okay, so next week we will be watching K-9-11 starring Jim Belushi and a dog. Until we see you Actually, again. before I before we say that, I do want to point out when I Googled K911, I made the mistake of actually putting the dash between nine and eleven, and I got a Reddit <laughs> post about puppies being the, the real a conspiracy theory about puppies being the cause of nine eleven. I just wanna <laughs> I knew it. I always knew it. Didn't I say that? Didn't I say that on September twelfth? <laughs> but we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> Didn't I say it was probably a fucking dog smoking cigarettes? <gasps> And and she dropped the cigarette on all those bombs that were planted by the U.S. government to destroy the World Trade Center. By the other dogs. It was actually planned for several weeks ahead of time, but, uh, yeah. Well, they had to move all the bombs there with their little noses. <laughs> and it was the cutest fucking terrorist attack you've ever seen in your goddamn life. <laughs> they, had to, they had to push those explosives with their little puppy noses down a hill until <gasps> it got there. I mean... And then they had to get uh, fucking... Bow wow to fucking light up a smoke. The the lesson is, you know, when your when your dog rolls over and wants you to rub his belly, rub his belly. Otherwise, he's gonna destroy our, our economic infrastructure. That's all it was. One dog didn't get his kibble, and he just had a fucking he, he snapped. All right. all right, so join us next week for Jim Belushi and a non-talking dog. It'll be nice to watch a non-talking dog movie for once. Oh well. Well, anyway. Until we see you for that, get off get the off shed. the shed. There are places I'll remember all my life. Though some have changed, some forever, not for better. Some have gone and some remain. All these places have their moments. With lovers and friends, I still can recall. Some are dead, and some are living. In my life, I've loved them all.